0: Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. The NBA regular season is less than two months away from wrapping up and we're a week away from the start of March, which of course for basketball fans means the start of March Madness. So I figured it'd be a good time to talk about some of the upcoming prospects for the 2020 draft. And just as I was thinking that our resident draft expert, Tyler Metcalf came out with his first full 60 pick big board of the season. So I'm here to talk about that with Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing?
1: Uh doing well, Nick. Just have had to endure a lot of really bad college basketball this season, but this whole process is still a ton of fun and I love doing it, so it's worth it. Well,
0: if there was any year that it wasn't going to be worth it, it would certainly be this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's tough especially with a lot of or the majority of the top guys for the uh draft we will not be seen make it into the tournament at all. And on that
0: incredibly uplifting note, (laughs) let's start with the number one pick on your board. When we did this earlier in the season, we both had the same person at number one. If I were to have done all the work that you did to create a 60-player big board, I would also have the same player at the top of that list, and that is Anthony Edwards out of Georgia. He's had really an up-and-down year. He's been incredible in flashes and incredibly inefficient and really questionable in terms of his playmaking ability outside of those flashes. But ultimately, he's still got by far the most potential out of this top group with maybe one exception. And that is ultimately why he stays at number one for a lot of people, even though he is nowhere near the caliber of player that you usually expect to see at the top pick overall.
1: So this top three, I kind of cycle, I've found myself cycling into a different order, almost daily um just because and these are three really different guys who bring different things to the table and they all have pretty glaring flags still though um but i just kind of keep settling on edwards as the best guy because of how high his ceiling really is um and you you mentioned that we just see flashes of it and you know that's kind of the best way to describe him he just he's an incredibly talented kid and his he's got an nba body ready already um he is a pretty good outside shooter he can attack the rim he doesn't really take many like bad mid-range shots like we see a lot of young guys take um so his scoring mentality is really impressive but then he just kind of takes himself out of games and you'll just go through long stretches of a Georgia game, and you just won't even realize that he's out on the court, which is really not something you want out of, you know, someone who is supposed to be your franchise player.
0: We've discussed this before, but I think it's really relevant with Anthony Edwards. I'm genuinely unsure if his Georgia situation helps him or hurts him overall. I think in terms of his development, it's probably not best for him to be the alpha and omega of that Georgia offense in that it sort of forces him into a lot of bad situations. On the other hand, he wouldn't have the ball in his hands anywhere near as much if he were playing somewhere else. So maybe he would develop more in terms of his off-ball skills, but it might not be good for his superstar track development to be on a team where he's going to see less of the ball. Then again, of course, him being surrounded by not exactly top-flight teammates maybe makes it harder for him to look for the kinds of shots that he'll be hopefully getting at the NBA level. Of course, him being in this Georgia situation is probably reminiscent of the kinds of situations that number one overall picks end up going to in that, well, maybe he's forced to do a bit too much this season, but that's probably going to be the case next season as well.
1: Yeah, and it's just another case of him just still being the best guy on his team. I mean, growing up he was always that. Now he's that again and he's in a situation with zero expectations. I mean, Georgia wasn't expected to be good and they're expected to be better, but um I just he he doesn't make his teammates better, which really really kind of bothers me um from a number 1 pick and like a perfect example would be that um that that Memphis game earlier this year where Georgia beat Memphis when Memphis was ranked in the in the teens, and Edwards had a pretty meh game, and the rest of his team showed up and played really hard um and got them the win, but he just you 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 just went through long stretches of him just really not showing up at all or making a real big impact on the game like that and on nationally televised games and against good opponents you you want to see more of kind of what we saw with him in Maui when he dropped 30-plus in the second half against Michigan State. So when you get games like that, it's he's so much fun. He's inspiring to watch. You can immediately tell, okay, this is why this dude is the best player in this draft, and then, you know, we'll get a game against Vanderbilt and he has 12 points on 30% shooting, and you're like, who is this guy? Like, he doesn't belong even on on this college court. So you are much
0: higher on the number two and number three players on your board than I am. And to be clear, they're both prospects that I'm a fan of, especially in this particular draft. But since you're much higher on them than I am, I'm just going to let you have the floor. Who do you have as your number two overall prospect on this top 60 big board?
1: Right now I have Denny Avita, um from Israel um, as number two on my board and just everything I see from him tape-wise, I really, really enjoy watching. Um, he's just a super impressive player at 18. He has a much higher basketball IQ than you would really expect. He's a really impressive playmaker, um, moves well without the ball. He just has a really good feel for the game. He's a smooth athlete. Um, he He's just, when you watch him, he's just one of those guys that you can tell belongs on a basketball court and really understands how the game works and how it's supposed to be played. I'm a little worried about his shooting. Um, it's pretty streaky. Um, I think he's in like the mid 30s from three right now, but you know, that's pretty much based on him having really good games and then long stretches of not being able to hit anything. So if his if his outside shooting really can't step up. Um, you know, he he could be kind of limited in the type of player he'll be. But this is just one of those drafts where I really see, you know, the best player from the draft coming outside of the first four or five picks. And he definitely has the skill set and foundation and intelligence and competitiveness um, at only 18, where he, he he could easily be the best player in this draft.
0: Avdia has been really good recently, which is encouraging, obviously, because he's moving from slightly weaker play in the Israeli league to playing against Euroleague competition. The thing that worries me about him is just that in addition to being a really streaky three-point shooter, he's also not a great free throw shooter. Now, granted, this is in a super small sample size, but so far this year, he's shooting only 56% from the free throw line in Euroleague. And... Ultimately, free throw numbers are usually stronger indicators of future three-point shooting than college or international numbers when translating to the NBA. So I think the shot really is a concern. It's not just that he's a streaky shooter, but ultimately in this particular draft, he's someone who can be a primary or secondary playmaker who. Has a really high upside as the main engine potentially of the offense of an NBA team. And again, in this draft, you really want to try and get those kinds of players early if you can because there isn't much else to choose
1: from. Yeah. And I I mentioned Edwards having probably the, like, by far the highest ceiling. And I, I think of Dia as one of the highest floors because of his intelligence and feel for the game. And, you know, if, if, i in in the long run, I feel more comfortable betting on guys who understand the game who can make their teammates better and who just have an absurdly high level of competitiveness than a guy with just raw physical strengths or you know trying to bet on someone who who's a great athlete but oh, just imagine if he could improve his shooting um if 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 dia improves his shooting um He'll he'll be an incredible player, but even if he doesn't, I still think he's going to be a really really good contributor for a long time in the NBA. So speaking of
0: incredibly high basketball IQ and feel for the game, who do you have at number three on your
1: big board? Tyrese Halliburton, who probably is my favorite player in this draft. Um, I, I love this kid. I love how he plays, um, and just the way he commands an offense. He's so much fun to watch. His passing vision is incredible. Um, he's a great uh, live ball passer. Um, just he's has no issues whipping a one-handed cross-court pass to a cutter. Um, he's got kind of a funky shooting mechanic where it's more of a push shot out in front of him, which could kind of limit him um, in the NBA where guys will just be able to defend him a little easier. But he's pretty accurate with it and has done a much better job this year of kind of creating his own shot. Um, But just his his intelligence, his ability to play on or off ball is really impressive. His size makes him a versatile defender. Um, I, I just really like his all around game.
0: You mentioned the point about him growing his offensive game, and I think that's really the big point with Halliburton. He was someone who was considered to be sort of a back of the first round type of pick last year, and the main knock against him was, sure, he's this incredibly efficient shooter and really quality ball handler and playmaker, but he doesn't do all that much on offense. He shoots like maybe three times a game, and I think he shot something ridiculous like 12 total shots in the restricted area last year as a freshman and so that was sort of the big concern for him on the offensive end coming into this year and he's almost tripled his scoring average from six points a game little under seven points a game actually to a little over 15 points a game this year and he isn't as ridiculously efficient as he was last year but he still shot nearly 60% from two-point range and almost 42% from three-point range on nearly double the number of attempts from long range that he took last year. The thing about Halliburton is he fractured his left wrist, so he's not going to be playing again this season. And unfortunately, that sort of medical issue is a concern with this class, not necessarily long-term, but certainly in the sense that you know, we're in mid February, and we're not going to see most of the top players play again, either due to injury or due to, let's just say other things in the case of James Wiseman.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, it sucks that we won't get to see him um, in the Big 12 tournament, but they're they they had zero shot, unless they won the Big 12 tournament of making the NCAA tournament. Um So I mean, It'll, it'll It'll just be really a handful of games, so we're not really getting to see left out of him. I don't think he'll end up being that big of a deal or hurting him that much um I and mean, It's a broken bone it's not like he he blew out his knee or has shoulder issues or something, so I don't think it'll affect him long term and I mean this Iowa state team is real bad, so if he was even just on like a competent team, I think his his raw numbers would look so much more impressive. Um, and, and he he's just a lot of fun to watch.
0: Up next at number four, LaMelo Ball, who is certainly going to miss more games than Halliburton did in the lead up to his draft year. With LaMelo, he really has incredible potential on the offensive end. But unlike his big brother, Lonzo, his defense is a glaring hole and, like his big brother Lonzo, he's really struggled to score efficiently. He certainly hasn't struggled to put up shots, but getting them to go in at an effective rate has been an issue with him. Basically, since he sort of entered the draft consciousness,
1: he, he's he's a weird prospect because I mean, his passing, um, you know, is second to none in this class. Uh, I and we we can see, we've seen him have logo range on his jumper. You know, not he's not consistent from outside yet um he's really impressive running in transition and and his the big growth spurt he's had um makes him a much better finisher at the rim because he still has that really nice touch on um, floaters that you know he he's been showcasing from just inside the three point line so I and mean, he's super unorthodox in the way he plays and the way he shoots um but he's a really impressive offensive talent i mean his his shot selection is brutal um, which is a big reason for his inefficient numbers so if if he can kind of get some coaching um, and just really realize that it's like hey I'm not the best guy on this team and I'm best when I'm creating for others and not forcing my own scoring opportunities I, I think that's when he'll, he'll be um, at, at his best and could really take a jump and surpass you know the player his brother is At number five, Cole Anthony, he's someone else who's had a bit
0: of a disappointing season and a large part of that disappointment has been due to missing a lot of time with injury. Of course, another part of this is that this is the weakest North Carolina team that we've seen in quite a while, honestly, and Anthony does have that sort of high level playmaking potential. But he's also been taking pretty much every shot he can get his hands on, especially since he's returned from that injury that caused him to miss most of the year. And ultimately, I think that the playmaking type prospects that you have ahead of him have all had more impressive seasons than him. But he's someone that really was looked at as a pretty clear top three, if not number one overall guy heading into the year and has tumbled down a bit. He hasn't been as disappointing as some people, let's say, but it certainly hasn't been a great year for Anthony.
1: Yeah, my point about Iowa State being really bad earlier um, is doubled here for North Carolina. Um, This is just an awful team, and it it makes it really difficult to kind of judge what Anthony kind of is or what he'll develop into. Um, He's shown flashes of, you know, being a really good playmaker, but... Right I and mean, right now he's just a really inefficient scorer I and mean, he he makes some incredibly tough shots. But the downside to that is that you know if you're making tough shots, it it means that you're taking bad shots. And he's taking a lot of really bad shots. Um, he's been impre- an impressive isolation scorer. Um, he's shown flashes of being able to run the pick and roll, but North Carolina doesn't run much pick and roll. Um so I I'm really hoping this is just a case where he's just not fitted for, you know, the college game and will really blossom into a really nice player once he reaches the NBA and is surrounded by teammates who can actually rebound and score. Um but right now and he's I I'm, I'm pretty worried about what he kind of keeps showing and just how inefficient all of his scoring numbers are. Well, if it's been difficult to evaluate Cole
0: Anthony, it's almost impossible to evaluate James Wiseman, who you have at number six. He ended up playing three games at Memphis, and he showed more in those three games than he had in high school in terms of my biggest concern for him out of high school was that Well, put it this way, as someone who had very high hopes for Willie Cauley-Stein, the first thing that worried me about James Wiseman was that he seemed to not really know where his strengths were on the offensive end in high school. And that really concerned me, but he seemed to have a better handle on that in his three games in college. But again, you're evaluating him on a three-game sample size. I think that I would have trouble putting him any lower than 10th on a board just because he really does have that defensive player of the year kind of ceiling, but it's really, really difficult to tell how likely it is that he's gonna reach that ceiling, and he has one of the lowest floors of anyone in the top half of the projected lottery.
1: Wiseman really seems like the number one guy who will be a victim of circumstance. Um, you know, if he ends up going in the top three to a an already established team like Golden State, I think he could end up being really, really impressive, where he has that specific role. He knows what he's doing. He's getting easy shot attempts because Curry, Curry and Draymond are setting him up. Um, and, you know, all he has to do is defend the rim and be a rim runner and just do what his job is. But if he goes to you know a, a much worse team who doesn't have established roles and he's expected to be, you know, this franchise altering star. I just I don't see it. Um just the way the center position is going and he doesn't have the playmaking abilities of, you know, a Jokic. He doesn't have the scoring versatility of a Towns. Um he he's not an elite defender like Gobert. So and he's an, a super athletic um, skilled rim runner. And I'm just afraid that, you know, you can find those guys for pretty cheap in the NBA now. And, you know, I, I just hope he doesn't turn into an Andre Drummond. Up
0: next at number seven, you have Jaden McDaniels out of Washington. He's one of the biggest swing for the fences type of picks in this lottery in that he's got the kind of 6'10", ridiculously skinny frame, score at all three levels, kind of Kevin Durant starter pack. But as with any time that you're comparing any lottery prospect to a Kevin Durant type of player, the chances of them hitting that absolute ceiling are nearly zero. And on the flip side, Jaden has been awful for Washington since 2020.
1: Yeah, I mean, God, Washington, who was supposed to probably win the pack 12 um they're now in last and they are awful they're a tough watch and just another example of why only cowards play zone all the time um he's i he's really enticing because he's a nice he's a really nice shooter he has great length on defense um he's shown that he can be a really effective weak side shot blocker and a good rebounder um I I worry that he hasn't really developed his body at all. Um, you know, not everyone does in college, but and he's added essentially zero muscle to his already really skinny frame. Um, and he'll definitely need to. But I I'm hoping that it, it's just a situation where that basketball season has just become untenable for those guys and that's just kind of a result of a bad atmosphere but what his foundation is and what his skill set is suggests that he he could be that really effective two-way forward in the nba
0: up next at number eight rj hampton he looked better on defense in the nbl than expected but he also played pretty much no role on offense at all. He was a bench rotation player who didn't really get much of an opportunity to handle the ball was almost exclusively an off ball player. The thing about Hampton is that I think people are viewing his raw numbers from Australia slash New Zealand since he played for the New Zealand breakers and trying to evaluate them in the context of college basketball which I don't think is fair either to Hampton or to college basketball players, to be entirely honest. But from what I saw of him in the NBL, it doesn't seem like he's really sure whether he's going to be an off-ball kind of off-guard player or if he's actually going to be a pure point guard. I think he could be a solid bench cog. I think that's kind of his floor at this point. But it's difficult to sort of see... Where the long-term upside is because he's still so much of a project. I
1: I really worry about how effective he'll be with the ball. Um, I think he projects best as a lead ball handler, um, and he he's great with the ball in his hand. He's pretty comfortable attacking the rim and kind of has a has a an arsenal or varied arsenal of ways to score around the rim. Um, he, and he's a very good athlete, which helps him on defense. He He's just really struggled shooting and his shot just, it doesn't even look good. And his passing out of drives and overall playmaking just seems to be a step or two behind of where it needs to be. So he'll be late to find cutters. He won't see the open guy rotating to the corner. Um, and then when he is off ball, he just becomes complacent and just pretty stagnant so i think with his size and athleticism and ball handling capabilities he'll be best as a lead guard but he's really going to need to be surrounded by um a lot a lot of established guys and he'll probably be more of a project but if if he gets that decent coaching and whatever team takes him is patient with him. Um, he he could develop into a, a pretty nice athletic two-way lead guard. Up next,
0: Precious Achua at number nine out of Memphis. He's certainly seen a larger percentage of floor time for Memphis because of James Wiseman leaving after three games. And it's been a bit of a mixed bag. I think on the one hand, he's put up counting stats for sure. 15 points, 10 rebounds a game, two blocks, give or take. And he really is a ridiculous athlete who is a bit undersized for center at 6'9", but has a crazy wingspan to kind of make up for it. I think the question with Ochoa is sort of similar to the question with Wiseman, ironically enough, which is, where exactly do you put a big man who isn't a knockdown three-point shooter and isn't a crazy playmaker for others, but has all the athletic tools you could want and is growing into them on the defensive end.
1: So he's improved on his corner threes to an extent, and he's still not great from there, but he's definitely come a pretty far ways from where he was at the beginning of the year. Um, but I just his work rate and pure athleticism is what really kind of keeps him in the top 10 for me. And this guy works so freaking hard of every minute that I just I can't imagine that he doesn't get better and continue to improve as we've already seen this season. And he he can guard anyone on the floor, he's a great rebounder, running in transition, he's nearly unstoppable. Um and he he's already pretty comfortable at attacking the rim. He'll need to improve his ball handling, um but I I, I this is the reason why I hate NBA comparisons because I see a lot of Pascal Siakam in him. I don't think he's going to be Pascal Siakam, but I see kind of that mold and hopefully that future development from him.
0: Up next at number 10, Obi Toppin out of Dayton. If he hasn't been the best player in college basketball this year, he's got to be pretty close. And he's just been absolutely absurd for a team that I think people expected to be decent going into this year, but I don't think they expected them to be this good. And it's almost exclusively because Toppin has been absolutely absurd. He's a combo big man type of player probably in the NBA, but he's got a much more versatile game than a lot of the guys ahead of him. It's just interesting for me because having watched Frank Mason play on the Kings... It seems like a lot of the players who garner conversation for national player of the year are undersized point guards that don't really make it in the NBA, <laughs> whereas Toppin is almost the exact opposite of that in a lot of ways.
1: I If he doesn't win national player of the year, it should be a travesty and should be investigated. Um, I, I just love the versatility of this guy's game. Um, he's a really nice inside-outside scorer. Um Kind of versatile defender just he's a really really smart basketball player and and that you're able to kind of pick up on that from the, the first minute you watch him um and he's kind of sneakily explosive so when he's running in transition or acting as a weak side shot blocker he has no trouble getting above the rim um i do have a little concern about if um, opponents are going to be able to switch on him uh, or force him to switch on the perimeter just because of um, he, he's he got pretty long legs and struggles to really get down in his stance, so he can get blown by some. Um, but overall, he's smart enough and athletic enough where I don't think it'll be too big of an issue. But his, his own, just overall two-way ver- versatility is... Um, a lot of fun. And it's I love when guys like this really outperform expectations and almost come out of nowhere.
0: Someone who certainly has not come out of nowhere, Josh Green at Arizona, who's been on the radar for quite a few years now. And Green, I think, has a lot of really solid secondary skills. And I think there's a place for him in the NBA as a role player for the next decade or so. But ultimately, it's going to come down to his three-point shooting, because if he can get himself to average from three-point range, then he's going to have a very long career as a defensive stalwart on the wing who can playmake a little bit as a secondary guy, not as a primary guy, and knock down shots when he's left wide open. But I think ultimately, his NBA future is going to rest on the whether he can knock down those wide open shots question.
1: Yeah, and his... He'll be relied on mostly as a wing defender from the start. Um, He's got great footwork, really athletic guy, um, great at attacking the rim. I don't have too many concerns about his jumper. I think his mechanics are pretty solid. They're pretty consistent. um, And I feel like we've kind of seen enough where it shouldn't be a massive concern um he he won't be a lead guard he won't be initiating the offense but as like that off ball scorer um I, I he's shown a nice abil- er, a nice job of cutting um he he sees the open spaces pretty well and does a nice job of relocating to them so as long as he doesn't try and you know outperform what his role is which i don't think he will because he hasn't done that at Arizona um i i think he, he'll be a really nice two way two way wing for for quite a while.
0: Up next you have Scotty Lewis from Florida at number 12. We were both very high on Scotty Lewis coming into the year and I've fallen further on him than you have it certainly seems like. He's really an excellent defensive player who not only has the tools to be an excellent defensive player but puts in all the work and effort that you need to be a defensive stalwart. The problem is he's just been not even a zero, but a serious negative on offense. And on the one hand, I would like to think that his defense is good enough that he'll be a solid NBA player for a number of years, even without any sort of offensive game. But on the other hand, the Tony Allens of the world have kind of fallen out of favor in the NBA over the last few years.
1: And I am
0: more than a little bit worried that if Scotty can't pick up his offensive game, that's going to be the kind of NBA career he has.
1: Yeah, and I, I kinda continue to reluctantly drop Scotty in my rankings every day. Um and watching him play defense is incredible. Um just great foot footwork, um incredibly quick hands, can guard and is excited to play defense and can guard you know, any wing position on the court, freak athlete. Um, I'm frustrated by his offensive production because from what he's shown when he's had the opportunity, I feel like has been that he has the ability to be a productive, you know, off ball cutter. And I'm hoping that his ineffectiveness and just lack of involvement has been a, um, a result of coaching decisions and instructions because majority of his games you know he spends the majority of his time just standing in the corner while the rest of the team runs a play on the other side of the court so it seems like the coach just doesn't trust him at all which you know maybe that's more of an indictment on Lewis than the coach but I'm I'm really hoping that that's all the issues are with his offensive you know or lacking of his offensive abilities. (laughs) You have Tyrese
0: Maxey at number 13 on your board. I think I'm a little bit higher on him than that. I might actually be a lot higher on him than that, to be entirely honest. He's been really great as an on-ball defender at Kentucky, and that's a hard place to stand out as an on-ball defender, given you've got Ashton Hagens on your team. He's also been really good at creating for others. He's been very solid in the floater range. The biggest knock I have on Maxi at this point is that I don't think he's been efficient enough from three-point range to really sort of climb up to the top half of the lottery, but barring weaker than I think hoped for three-point shooting, he's been really stellar for an up-and-down Kentucky team this year. He,
1: he's another one of these just kind of spark plug scorers where when he's hot from three, um, he's, you know, you, you can't stop him, but... I think the the more impressive part of his game has been, or the more surprising part of his game has been, what he's been able to do kind of in the paint and on the defensive end. Um, he he's really quick. He has great touch around the rim. Um, I, I I've I've been really impressed with him. I worry about his off-ball defense, which is you know almost non-existent, where he just completely loses his guy. Um, his streaky shooting is a bit of a concern, but I think he's versatile enough on that off on the offensive end where it won't be too much of an issue and you know defenses will always have to respect him from out there. Um and he's a shockingly good rebounder and he's small and I I guess comparatively at six two. But he's a really, really good rebounder, especially for his size, which is impressive because it lets him just kind of start the break immediately.
0: And rounding out the lottery at number 14, you have Isaac Okoro from Auburn. He's someone who is going to be maybe even above average on defense as an NBA rookie, which even the best college defenders don't really do that well as rookies. But I think Okoro's got the kind of physical tools where he actually can be a plus on that end. And the sort of downside with him is that he just doesn't have much upside as an on-the-ball offensive creation threat. But ultimately, if you're picking at the back end of the lottery, you're a team that's pretty close to the playoffs anyway. And Okoro can fill a lot of holes for a team that's close, but not quite there.
1: Yeah, I've seen Okoro a lot higher on some other draft boards and even in the top five at some places. Um, And a lot of that's based on, well, if he develops an outside shot, you know. and I feel like we get burned by that so many times and i agree if okoro develops you know an above average outside jumper he could easily be the best player in this draft um i think his mechanics need a lot more work than just oh he's you know a step away from it um with that said he he's already an nba ready defender um he's got the size he's got the athleticism he's got the instincts um he he's going to be a very very good defender in the NBA and um a a sneaky awesome part of his game on offense is his passing ability he, um he'll never be you know an initiator of the offense but he sees the floor really well and does a great job of finding cutters and and open shooters All
0: right, now that we're out of the lottery, we're going to go lightning round through the rest of the first round. Let's start at number 15 with Théa Maladon out of France.
1: Great size for his position. Um, Really impressive floor vision and playmaker, solid defender. Uh, I just really worry about his his almost fear of wanting to score and his lack of shooting ability. Um, The point guard position continues to get more and more score first and he has almost an aversion to do that and in a very
0: similar vein number 16 Nico Mannion out of Arizona he's got all these sort of point guard skills in terms of passing and creating for others but I mentioned earlier that I was concerned about the fact that Tyrese Halliburton didn't really try to score at all around the basket and Nico Mannion has that problem times like 100.
1: Yeah, Man- Manion's really frustrating because you see the skills, you see the f- you know what he could be. He'll have games where he's an awesome shooter, and then you know the next night he's you know there won- he has ten turnovers and is one for ten from three. So it- it's real hit or miss on what you're going to get with him. Um, I-, I don't love his overall feel for the game, and just think he's going to make a lot of really really bad mistakes early in his career but he he has the skills where you know if given the time and the support he he could become a, a solid lead
0: point guard up next you have Devin Vassell at 17 out of Florida State he's risen a lot recently and he's an incredible long range shooter with a 65 frame and nba level athleticism he's got the starter kit to be a 3 and d wing i think the question is A, can he really hold up on the defensive end? And B, does he do anything else outside of those 3 and D types of things?
1: First, I think he can. And second, I'm not sure he needs to. Um, The more I watch him, the more I like him. Um, His his lack of foot speed on defense will hurt him. um, And he'll probably need to be more put in the right system defensively. Um, But he has the length and the athleticism um or explosiveness, I guess, where where he can be a good defender. And I, I just love his his shooting potential and um, you know, he, he's he's a solid solid passer for his position, but won't be one of those guys where he's running the offense. Speaking of shooting potential,
0: number eighteen, Aaron Neesmith out of Vanderbilt. He made a ridiculous fifty two point two percent of his three point shots in fourteen games this year on 115 shots. So not exactly a small volume of shots, but he is out the rest of the year after breaking his foot. And really, I think the question is, even though he's an electric shooter, what else does he do on the floor?
1: Yeah, It's such a bummer that he got hurt. And, and this guy's shooting over 50% on a pretty high volume for 14 games. And he's had multiple games of making, you know, six plus threes in a game. So in mean, this, the, this dude's legit. Um, even if he doesn't, you know develop into anything more um he'll he'll be an awesome off-ball shooter and that will give him a role in the rotation for you know quite a few years um i think he's shown some ability to score off the dribble and i think his size could allow him to kind of further develop that but as of right now um he's going to be used almost exclusively as an off-ball shooter at number 19, you have Ochai Agbaji out of
0: Kansas. He's been one of the more disappointing players in a disappointing season for the Jayhawks, but ultimately he's still got the kind of tools that make him worth a look for draft evaluators.
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I was super high on him as last year progressed, and then he, he came back, and he's just one of these guys where he's freak athlete, and just one of the highest work rates in the country um that and guys like that you know usually tend to at least carve out some sort of role i at his best i think he could be a, a really good on ball defender and you know corner shooter um at his worst i think he's going to be a a solid energy defender off the bench so just his work rate alone um and and athleticism should make him a solid defender at at the very least. At number 20, you
0: have Jamius Ramsey out of Texas Tech. He's another one of these players who has shot up draft boards because he's got an incredible jump shot. But again, the question is, I think even more for some of these other 3 and D guys, I think this applies even more for Ramsey, is not just what can he do outside of shoot, but what does he do on offense outside of shooting? Because he really doesn't have much of a playmaking game at all.
1: Yeah, and he, he's he's a flashy passer. So every now and then you'll see um, him, you know, whip like a no look one handed pass to a cut a backdoor cutter, and you'll be just dr- drop your jaw. But the majority of his playmaking is non existent, and he's really you know just looking to score for himself, which you know sometimes you need. Um, but when he locks in, he's a really good on ball defender too and he's got a surprisingly high level of explosiveness so if if he can just kind of lock in more off ball defensively because he tends to just completely zone out um he'll he'll become more playable but right now it's just kind of like that off that off the bench spark plug score up next at 21
0: patrick williams out of florida state absolutely ridiculous athlete plays with a ton of effort and energy as well. But right now, that's really all he is, athleticism and effort.
1: Yeah, and he's one of these guys that will just do whatever you ask of him to. He doesn't need the ball in his hand. Um, He doesn't have to be the focal point of the offense. Um, You know, whenever he's out there, he's going to play a high-level defense. He's going to protect the rim. Um, He's going to be a freak athlete. He'll occasionally knock down. Spot up threes. Uh, he has essentially zero playmaking or ball handling capabilities. Um, but if he can turn into just like a decent corner corner three shooter and um, continue his defensive impact, um, you know he he could be a solid sixth, seventh two way forward off the bench.
0: You have his almost exact opposite of a player at number 22 in Isaiah Stewart out of Washington. He's an incredibly offensively skilled big who doesn't really have a position on the defensive end and would have been a clear future all-star if he'd been picked 20 to 30 years ago. But the question with Stewart is really where his position will be in the NBA and whether he can defend passively enough to let his offensive skill get on the floor.
1: And this dude's just built like a tank and he's really raw, which could be a good thing um, because he's got a foundation to build upon. But, you know, if he, if a coach gets him and they're like, I I don't have time to waste on him, um, you know, he'll, he'll be gone in a couple of years. I worry about that. That will be the case, and it's hard to kind of judge what he does defensively. Um, he's not super explosive, uh, which limits his, you know, rim protection ability. But he does a nice job of staying vertical and contesting shots that way. But again, you know, he's playing in that Washington zone, which has just been awful this year. So I, I worry that he's really gonna be screwed by not having a position or by and not being elite at one thing that will set him apart from guys he's battling with uh, for time
0: a player who will have similar problems to that zeke naji out of arizona he is way too skinny to play center in the nba right now and is probably got too skinny of a frame when combined with his 610 height to be a long-term center but the question is, even though he can certainly contribute, is he ever going to be able to defend well enough to play center or shoot well enough to play power forward?
1: I, I think he's going to end up being one of these really nice kind of small ball fives. Um, th- this dude just works his butt off every second. He's super intense. You can just tell how competitive he is and how badly he wants to win um and he's a really good rebounder he's a good shot blocker um you know solid at scoring out of scoring in the post he's shown some face-up abilities from the mid-range um he's another one of these guys where just his mental ability and just how competitive he is and how Um, hard he works. I think his intangibles will kind of keep him in the league, at least keep him in the league, if not, you know, spur him into a a solid small ball center role.
0: Up next at number 24, Killian Hayes. He has really improved as the season has gone along. He's dramatically cut down on his turnovers. He's really good out of live dribbles at creating plays for his teammates. The question there that a lot of people have is just that his shooting numbers have been pretty bad, but he's also a high 80s free throw shooter, which really makes me think that his shot is going to come along at some point. It's a matter of when, not if.
1: Yeah, I have a similar um, view on Hayes' shooting as um, I do with Maladon, where I think Hayes's you know low shooting numbers are more him just being opposed. To shooting and he re- he doesn't really look for his own shot that much he'll attack the rim out of the pick and roll um, but he and he's almost always looking to create for everyone else you mentioned how he's a great uh live dribble passer um he he can really manipulate the ball with his left hand and do whatever he wants but if he's forced to use his right at all he's completely ineffective he has no ability to use his right he can't score with it he can't pass with it um so he's he's really gonna need to develop that otherwise defenses will be able to sh- shut him down pretty easily
0: up next you have onyeka Kongwu at 25 i am a lot higher on him than that i think he's got the kind of foot speed to be one of the few centers that actually can defend effectively on the perimeter Obviously, he's a little bit small for a center, but I think that his defensive versatility and crazy athleticism and ridiculous effort can make up for that. But ultimately, it's hard to pick center prospects that high in the modern NBA. And given that Okongwu doesn't have a crazy three-point shot, he kind of falls into that category a little
1: bit. That's one of the big things with the centers. um, And why I, I may have them a little lower than other places is I just, you know, I, I think you can get really good center production for a lot cheaper than, than, you know, where these guys would have gone, you know, 10 years ago. Um, Okongwu is really skilled in the post. He's a great rebounder, um, good on ball defender. I, I like his footwork and athleticism. Um, I, I don't like his off ball defensive awareness. He's, he's late on rotations. Um, He'll, he'll go after shots that he has no business blocking, um, and he's shown essentially no shooting ability. Um, where you know we've seen Naji face up more from the mid range to the three point line, and Okongwu really is just kind of completely stays away from that.
0: At twenty six, you have Vernon Carey who even five years ago, might have been picked in the top 10, which if you doubt that, just look at where Julia Okafor was picked. (laughs) But I'm more concerned about Vernon Carey's ability to succeed in the NBA more than almost any of these other center prospects that were still, and you more than me, but still questionable on whether they're going to make it long term. Carey, I think, has the largest number of concerns at an NBA level.
1: I I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone, you know, in the next couple years. Um, but his footwork and interior scoring, um, is super impressive. Um, he's got a great scoring mentality. He's shown that he can knock down outside shots when left open. Um, he, he's a good shot blocker other than that though, you know, it kind of falls off. He, he doesn't have great perimeter footwork. His defensive or- awareness is pretty lacking. Um, and there'll be times where, you just kind of forget that he's out there unless they're going up against smaller opponents, which he can just completely abuse. Up next at
0: number 27, Sadiq Bey. Crazy good shooter out of Villanova, potential 3 and D stalwart, and the kind of player where if he gets picked by a perennial playoff team at the back end of the first round, he's going to make a lot of other front offices really upset in two or three years.
1: He'll absolutely be around for quite a while I and mean, he he's of that kind of Marcus Morris mold where he's this two-way forward. He can score off the dribble, he can spot up, he can guard nearly any position on the floor. Um I I have some current some concerns about, you know, his play, lack of playmaking um and his overall decision making when he does have the ball he will force bad shots. Um he's not a very good passer. And when he doesn't have the ball, he gets pretty stagnant off ball um, and isn't really kind of out there working to make things easier for his teammates. Um, When surrounded by, you know, higher skill sets, that may change and better coaching that may change. Um, But when when he has the ball in his hand and when he's defending the ball, he's he's a really nice player. At number 28, Trey Jones out of Duke. Maybe he's not
0: going to end up going as high in the draft as his ranking in high school might have suggested, but I would be really looking at Trey Jones if I was any team in the bottom 10 of the first round because, and I've said this before and been burned on it, but I really don't think there's any chance that trey jones falls short of being a 10-year backup point guard and given that we've seen his brother do basically the same thing i would be shocked if that doesn't happen for trey as well
1: people always get bummed when they see their team you know drafts oh this guy's gonna be a backup point guard forever like oh that seems that's a lame first round pick but those guys help you know win games and win championships and make teams better and that's exactly what Trey Jones is and he's probably the best or if not the best one of the best uh defensive guards in the country um he's we've seen a a much better improved uh playmaking from him this year and he's obviously just a really smart player out there you know we just he has almost no scoring ability his outside shooting um is non-existent for the most part and teams will just Pretty much leave him wide open uh, from outside, so that if if he was even just an average shooter, he'd probably even be higher on the board. I think it would be fair to call the next
0: person at least an average shooter. At number twenty nine, you have Cassius Winston out of Michigan State. And if I was going to get in trouble for my Trey Jones takes, I'm definitely going to get in trouble for my Cassius Winston take because I had a very similar process as I've sort of alluded to with Frank Mason when he was coming out of Kansas, where I just don't see any way that Cassius Winston can't be a solid eighth man for an NBA team for the next decade. And maybe his ceiling isn't that much higher than that. But if you're a team picking at the back end of the first round, you need guys who can contribute to playoff rotations. And taking a wild swing at number 20 on a player that's going to be out of the league in three years is, in my mind not really that great of a move when there's someone on the board who is virtually guaranteed to be a long-term contributor
1: i i I completely agree and i think winston has that iq um and just kind of scoring instincts where i see him more as like a jalen brunson um than a frank mason where I i think he's going to be able to kind of create his own shot when needed, but he's smart enough and capable enough where he can create for others and really just control the offense. Um, I he's I would be pretty surprised if he ended up developing to the level of, you know, that Fred Van Vliet has, but that's just kind of the mold I see um, that, of or that mold of a player that Winston is. Where he's just going to be that mature, kind of rock steady backup point guard. Um, they'll bring some offense to the bench. And
0: closing out the first round at number twenty, you have Robert Woodard the second out of Mississippi State. He's got the pretty much perfect physical tools for an NBA wing. He's six seven. He's got a seven foot plus wingspan, and he's a good shooter. But the issue that I have with him is just that. His shooting has not been on that high of a volume. He's really just been taking wide open shots and knocking them down. And the rest of his offensive game, I think it would be polite to call it a work in progress.
1: Yeah, and he's he's not super skilled. He can't create his own shot really at all. And he can be a little stagnant off ball. But and like we just said with Winston, get, or teams picking late in the first round are good teams who are just looking to fill small roles. Um, and Woodard would be a really solid athletic two way forward who will be able to knock down open shots when he gets them. Um, and, you know, you can throw him on pretty much any, any opponent on the floor, uh, to defend. I don't, th- he'll never be a perennial scorer. He'll never be an all NBA defender, but he'll be a solid spot up scorer. Um, he won't, be that frustrating wing who misses every open shot he takes and he'll be able to play solid team defense.
0: All right. So now that we've been through the first 30 picks, let's wrap up by looking briefly at your second round picks and some sort of sleepers for us. So you wanted to talk about Cassius Stanley. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from him so far?
1: Yeah. So the the more I watch of Stanley, the the more I like him. He's super athletic He's a good shooter from outside. He's a competitive defender, um, and I, I think he has a really high ceiling. Just unfortunately, probably one of those lower floors where if he's given the time to develop, and you know he he's rides the bench for a couple years and is able to work with coaches and build his game and his actual skill, I think he could turn into a really really nice. Two-way, two, two-way wing. Um, and I kind of hope that's what he gets to because when when he's hot, he is so much fun to watch.
0: I wanted to talk about Paul Reed out of DePaul really quickly. He's someone you clearly think of decently highly. You had him at 35 on your big board. I would, I guess, not be surprised, but a little surprised that he might fall out of the first round. I mean, I think on the defensive end, he's the kind of plug all holes big man that every NBA team is a little bit desperate for. And even though his shot is a bit iffy still, his offensive game outside of his jump shot is really solid. And again, I think he's the kind of player where if he's asked to do too much, maybe he flames out of the NBA a little bit earlier than I would have expected. But if a team picks him up late in the first round and they're a playoff team that can basically just have him focus on be an excellent defender and be an off ball cutter slash short roll playmaking big man, he could really outperform the value of a late first round pick.
1: I, I like his foundation a lot. Um I'm more worried about like the intangibles with him. Um, you know, we we've seen Obi Toppin take Dayton to another level and I was kind of hoping that Paul Reed would be able to do the same with DePaul and they've had a really disappointing season and you know I I can't throw it all on him um, and Dayton has an overall better team but just Reed he just kind of checks out sometimes and just has a really inconsistent motor and I you know maybe that's just because he's sick of playing in college um, but guys like that re- really struggle to make a name for themselves in the nba i think he has the foundation he the length the athleticism um the shot blocking the defense to really be a nice um kind of off the bench backup big man um that could potentially turn into you know a spot or a stretch four or five but i i just worry that he doesn't have that absolute you know desire to, to be great and really take his game to that next level.
0: Someone else who could be an excellent stretch four or stretch five in the NBA is Killian Tilly. He's been on draft radars for quite a while now, but the biggest issue with him is he just can't stay healthy. And if he can't stay healthy in college, it's going to be even worse at the next level. So really for him, I think it just depends on how much time he can spend on the court as opposed to on the training table.
1: I completely agree and and he's incredibly skilled um and he's known for his outside shooting but when he gets the ball at the top of the top of the arc and is able to kind of he or he can really just pick defenses apart um he's a really impressive p- passer for his position um he, he just can't stay healthy and he's been you know rumored to be a solid draft pick since he was a, fre- a freshman in college And, you know, here we are four or five years later, and he's still having injury issues. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone took a flyer on him in the late second round or undrafted in summer league. But if he can stay healthy, he could be an absolute steal. That's just, you know, the word if there is doing a
0: whole lot of work. Someone I wanted to talk about briefly is Tyrell Terry out of Stanford. He's been an electric scorer so far as a true freshman, and he's also gotten really good at setting up his teammates. He's pretty close to 50-40-90, which is kind of absurd, but the problem with Terry is that he weighs about four pounds, and (laughs) obviously that's a little bit of a problem on the defensive end, but... I think that Terry is someone who, a little bit like Tyrese Halliburton, actually is someone who's seen as a probable NBA draft pick if he enters the draft, but is really more someone who could climb up into the lottery levels if he has another really solid year next year and gets to you know maybe seven pounds instead.
1: <laughs> yeah, I re- I really like what I've seen from Tyrell this year. He just seems like he's a year away from being really considered to be um, like a, like a first round pick. Um, If he came out this year, I maybe someone takes a flyer on him, but he's such a project where I'd be surprised if a team did that. Um, And he's tiny. He would get abused on defense. He's still pretty immature, Um, but his scoring instincts are really impressive. He's a nice shooter. Um, but I, I think if if he just works on his body and his game over the summer and comes back next year, I I wouldn't be surprised if he was a top ten pick.
0: And finally, you wanted to talk about Reggie Perry briefly.
1: Yeah, so I'm I like Perry a lot, um, and I have him at 46. So I mean, I, I guess maybe a lot's overstating it a little bit, but compared to other places, um, I've seen him a lot lower, and I I think he has a really impressive all around game. Um, he, he reminds me of Bam Adebayo-esque again. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be Bam Adebayo, but parts of his game remind me of that where he's a big man who's a really, really good passer, solid playmaker, um, has the potential to shoot from outside. Um, it's just the intangibles with him that concern me Um, if he just gets really frustrated unnecessarily so and forces passes turns the ball over for or misses shots and can kind of take himself out of the game Um, but if if he's able to lock in and really kind of get that coaching to inspire him to stay locked in and focus on what they're doing um, I, I think he could be a really a, a really good steal in the uh, second round.
0: All right, anything else before
1: we wrap up? I think we covered most of it. Um, next, you know, couple weeks all leading up to the draft, I'll have a couple more versions of this coming out with, um, more complete comparisons. Again, the comparisons are style of play i'm not saying they're going to be that person so don't take them too literally but it's just kind of a framework of what to expect or what you can envision you know these guys to potentially become um and i'll have more kind of in-depth scouting reports focusing on individual guys similar to uh, what i've done the last couple years uh so just kind of keep an eye out on those as they'll be sporadically coming out as we lead up to the draft
0: all right well he is tyler metcalf you can find him on twitter at t metcalf m-e-t-c-a-l-f-1-1 you can also of course find his big board on the hashtag basketball website there will also be a link in the description of this podcast so please make sure to take Every single word on there, extraordinarily, literally, as Tyler (laughs) has requested. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. It really helps other people to find the show. So I would certainly really appreciate that. If you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N or via email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.